Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Alchemist Pot Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Hildebrand, and this is our talk show where we discuss all things cannabis in New York State. Today, we have Mary and Steve with us from Rock Normal, and we're going to discuss everything from medical in New York, legalization in 2019, CBD, and much, much more. Thank you guys so much for coming out and talking with me tonight. I really appreciate it. How about we get right to it? Can you guys tell me a little bit about Rock Normal and what it is that you guys do? Well, we are Rochester Normal or Rock Normal. Uh, we are the local chapter for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. So Normal as a national organization was founded in 1970 and has been behind a lot of the states that have legalized um, and as Rochester Normal, we were founded, or we founded ourselves, in January of this year. Um, so we're a newer chapter, and yeah, we've been focused on providing education and doing some lobbying um, and being that political voice for the cannabis consumers locally. So what does a lobbyist do? Like, how do you actually go about getting the laws passed? A lot of it's education. A lot of it's really just going in and educating them on the existing legislation and and really just that it exists and then how it could benefit um, this part of the state. Um, we've done some federal lobbying as well. So there's a difference between, you know, the federal and the state legislation. So it's really just there's so many pieces of legislation for those legislators to know about that we're just putting it in their faces and being the squeaky wheel. So for someone who's listening to this podcast right now and who's getting excited about cannabis and about legalization, what's one of the best ways that they can get involved right now? How can they best um, be a part of this movement? I mean, I think we've seen a lot of our success in like in terms of getting our message across by getting involved in local politics and having the conversation. You know, now that the stigma has been kind of, you know, released and it's much more of an open, accepted topic. People are talking about it and we're starting to find out that there's a lot of people really interested in things that we all thought we had to keep hidden for all these years. So, you know, whether it's professionals or academics, most people are consumers or have been in some point in their life. So I think start, just be open about the conversation and accept it and be proud. And it's, it's a wonderful thing from an, from an economic and a medicinal and a, and a, education from a, from a horticulture perspective and i think we just have to start having the conversation so right now in new york where do we stand we have medical i believe correct what what does that look like right now so we have a pretty restrictive medical program in new york comparable to when comparing to other states um we have a pretty limiting list of qualifying conditions but just recently that list was opened up to um include anything that an opiate can be prescribed for medical marijuana cannot be recommended for so it's opened up in that sense but it's still really limited in the sense that there's few registered practitioners that are available um it's really geographically and economically restrictive so it's expensive for people to get into the program and then to purchase the products um, there's also very few dispensaries locally there's one in monroe county over on westridge road um, and the products that are available are really not of high quality. There's no flour, so there's nothing smokable. Um, the only way that you can consume right now in the medical program is through a vapor cartridge, so of concentrated cannabis, um, a tincture that you take sublingually under your tongue, 
And I believe that there's, oh, I believe. Topicals? Creams? No, there's no, topicals are allowed. They're allowed under the law, but there's no one currently producing them. I believe it might be some type of pill that you can get. Um, So those are really the only ways that you can consume and it's very expensive. Yeah. And the products, I mean, they lack transparency to say the least. And you, you, you know, what things we want to know about our products is, is it, is it a sativa? Is it an indica? What are the THC percentages? What is the terpene profile? And you pick up these products and it says the, 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 uh, the proportion of CBD to THC and that's it. And for people who understand that one cannabis product might do one thing and one might not do the other, it's super important that we know exactly what we're getting. So from the start, it wasn't... There's no transparency. None at all. I, I found it very shocking that you cannot find any labs. Like that, I found. Like I found in other states that one of the one of the first things that you'll find when you buy a marijuana product is lab results. Right, and that the one lab in New York is controlled by the state, um, and the testing that they're doing in that lab, like Steve said, is very minimal. I mean, the testing that they're doing is. We don't really know. I mean, what are they testing? They're not telling us, like Steve said, the percentage of THC or CBD that's in a product. Instead, they're telling you the ratio, which can mean a yep. lot of different things. Um, and we know we know nothing about how it's grown, and for we know how important is every part of the grow processes from the from the pH of the water to the soil nutrients to the lighting. And we know nothing about how they're being grown. Not to mention, these aren't full spectrum products. These are CBD and THC isolates that we now know are less effective than full spectrum products. So we don't, we, there's none of, none of the production part we know anything about. We just know, we assume that what we're getting is a CBD THC product. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see once we can start looking at the production side of things, like what we were really getting, I'm hoping that it was good products, but until we know it's really going to be up in the air. It's really interesting you mentioned that. We have actually invited all the dispensaries in the Rochester and Syracuse area to come on the show for an interview. We haven't got any responses yet, but hopefully we will, and we can see if we can get these guys to be a little bit more transparent about what it actually is they are doing in those big grow-ups of theirs. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you guys were recently invited to Albany to give your testimony on marijuana legalization. Is that correct? What was that like? Yeah, so we um, were invited to go to Buffalo, actually. There was four listening sessions around the state um, that the assembly held. So one of them, I believe, was in Albany. Uh, one was in Buffalo. One was in the New York City area. And then maybe there wasn't one in Albany. There was one in Long Island. Maybe oh, Syracuse. yeah. So either way, we were invited to the one in Albany or in Buffalo um, a couple weeks ago, and it was put on by uh, assembly member Crystal People Stokes and Richard Godfried. Um, and there was a few other assembly members there and it was by invitation only testimonies were, and they were really just looking to get the public's opinion about how we wanted to see the MRTA implemented in this new legislation that's being drafted or rather like what we wanted to see from the MRTA included in this new legislation. Um, and when I say the MRTA, that's the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, which is a piece of legislation that has been in the Senate and the Assembly in New York for two, maybe three years now. Okay. So it's legislation that's been around for a while that's been making its way through different committees that just hasn't gotten its way to the vote. Um, 
So they're looking at that legislation and then crafting new legislation, which we're hopefully going to see passed uh, in April with the budget. So that would be April 2019 we're hoping for? Yeah. Yep. That'd be fantastic. So now do we know... We don't know. So, of course, it's still very much in its infancy. I know we've had a little battle going on in New York about how they already want to spend that money, even though already. it hasn't even decided yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do we know anything about exactly how that is going to look yet or how or pretty much what what this might look like? Is it going to be as restrictive as the medical program is now or are they looking to kind of loosen up the rules a little bit? The MRTA is really looking to loosen it up. Um, yeah, they uh Originally, you know, kind of one of our worries was that they were ju just going to expand the current medical model, which is, you know, in all aspects have been, has been a failure. So part of our lobbying efforts has been, hey, look at the systems that already exist, you know, the Colorados, the organs of the world, some, those that are thriving economically. And then there's the ones that aren't like, you know, Nevada, which has a very similar system to ours. And we're like, hey, this is black and white. And I think, you know, having the budget meeting before really realizing where we're going to have a regulated system like we have or a thriving, you know, adult use rec program. So I think now they're leaning towards the latter, which I think they'll now really be able to see, you know, how much tax revenue a lot of our neighboring states have generated already. And those are, you know, some of those states are, you know, 20% of the size. So I think with the budget being passed and a lot of the, the language in the MRTA talks about what the tax revenue is going to go to, things like a community reinvestment fund. Yeah, so it's, com it's really complicated right now because we're pushing for the MRTA. We're pushing for things we already have seen in this legislation that's drafted. At the same time, this new legislation's being drafted that is just kind of taking a step back. Um, this new legislation being drafted is going to be passed in what's called Article 7 with the budget this year, or that's what we're anticipating. We That's what all the conversations have us thinking is going to happen. Um, and so instead of just using the MRTA and attaching that bill to the budget, Governor Cuomo has said, I'm going to put together this work group to draft new legislation that's going to be used to pass with Article 7 with the budget. But in the conversations that we've had with the Assembly and other organizations around the state, we believe that the MRTA is going to be looked to as the starting point okay. for this legislation being drafted. So we're pushing for everything in the MRTA and more. Gotcha. So that's it's it can get confusing when we say we're pushing for the MRTA, but then there's new legislation being drafted. It's it's all really political from what we understand and that Which makes sense. Instead yeah. of if you, if you understand Cuomo, a little bit about yes. how politics actually works. Yes. Yeah. Um, instead of Governor Cuomo just coming forward and saying, I'm going to take the MRTA that's already been around for a couple years, that's good legislation, and I'm going to move that forward. He's saying, I'm going to draft new legislation that's going to legalize cannabis for adult use in New York State. That looks a lot better for a politician than saying, I'm going to take someone else's legislation. Absolutely. So... That, um, with all of that being said, the MRTA, like Steve was saying, calls really specifically where that tax revenue should go to because it's no question of if money's going to be made or if a lot of money's going to be made because say, that's going to happen. I know. I think it was, uh, where was it? Massachusetts made, made a was couple billion. Was it 2.5 yeah, in some, like two weeks? Yeah, it was so, over yeah, Black Massa Friday, right? Yep. Massachusetts just, or was it Massachusetts yeah. that just released? They did $97 million. And then Colorado just no, hit not Massachusetts wouldn't have been ninety seven million because they were very new. Massachusetts was like the two point five in two weeks because including oh, Black yeah, yeah. Friday, yep, yep. I think oh, did yeah, half a million sense. in yeah. one day. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, 
But yeah, there's so much money in New York's projected to be the biggest market of them all. Absolutely. So the MRTA calls for um it calls for 25% of the tax revenue. So this is after all the overhead, um, fee, like administrative fees and re- money to go toward research and how effective our program is. So after money goes to all of that. That's going to be important to consider, though, because if it's there's 10% left over, if there's 40% left over, if we're looking at what, you know, Colorado's, but, you know, this could be a billion difference between $100 million in tax revenue and $500 million in tax revenue. That budget meeting and that conversation is going to be crucially important because there's so much money to be out on the table right now, and all depending on how we tax it and how we 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 how we, we allocate the taxes. Yeah. Because I think what you were referring to a couple minutes ago was that um, was it NYU, their Department of Transportation, it was yes, came out yes. and said all the tax revenue should go the, to um, the improving the New York City subway Correct. system. Correct. Well, and then I heard that there was also someone then arguing that it should actually go towards. Um, like re- fixing the repercussions to the black community. hundred percent. That is what we are advocating for through and through. First and foremost, this conversation starts with restorative justice. I mean, we look at the number of people in New York state that have been arrested or, and or prosecuted for low level marijuana related offenses since 1977, when cannabis was decriminalized in New York, over 800,000 individuals have still been arrested or prosecuted for those offenses a huge majority of those being people of color. So from low-income communities that have been targeted. Um, And so when we look at those facts that we can't dispute, we then have to say, okay, so we're legalizing. What are we going to do about that history? And we need to, there's nothing that we can do to make up for that, but there's definitely things we can do to take steps towards making it better. And it starts with one, um, expunging and resentencing and um, sealing of records. So there's not actual expungement in New York state, but we can seal records um, and doing that for any low level marijuana related offenses. And then beyond that, building this community reinvestment grant program where 50% of tax revenue after all of those administrative costs are paid for 50% of the tax revenue generated from this market would go into a community reinvestment grant program, which is this new grant program that would be created that would be specifically for low-income communities that have been targeted in the drug war. And it would be for programs like job readiness, job finding, GED programs, things that literally are stolen from those communities once you have a low-level marijuana arrest on your record. Um, so I think that New York, if we want to be the leader, like Governor Cuomo has said, we've waited to legalize because we want to be the leader in this. It starts with that. You know, it starts with trying to undo some of those wrongs that have been done. I see. I'm really glad you guys brought that up because recently, I believe, um, there was on openmicrock.com, it was George Cassidy Payne. He's an independent writer and social justice activist and adjunct professor in philosophy. He released an essay uh, discussing how even right here in Rochester, we're, we're seeing these same numbers. <laughs> um, because I know a lot of people, when they, when they hear about this racial injustice, they're like, oh, that's New York City, that's Chicago, that's Detroit. Can you guys tell me a little bit about that here in Rochester? And so in that report, he stated that between 2012 and 2016, 1,483 arrests were for cannabis. Of those arrests, 157 were white people and 1,164 were people of color. 
That's 78% of those arrests. Think about that. Now, can you guys tell me a little bit about hemp and CBD and this new farm bill that's coming around? Um, I've heard that they're basically going to be legalizing hemp across the board federally. Is that correct? Can you guys tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's actually really close to home for me because I own uh, a CBD company, a cannabinoid therapeutics company called Tiva, and we right now work with uh, hemp-derived CBD products. Uh, and that's super important as A, because it has been illegal, it's been prohibited for over 100 years. So this is opening up, this is a brand new economy. This is going to, a revolu you know, re revolution in hemp and agriculture is, is going to happen upon the approval and passing of this bill. And yet, the, they, they just added the provision, the hemp provision, that said it was now going to separate industrial hemp from cannabis, because all things are under the of cannabis umbrella, um, hemp, marijuana, but now that we're moving that and, you know, they're going to set parameters on, you know, percentage of THC levels right now, it's less than 0.3% THC. You have to be, you have to provide third party testing, certificate of analysis, all these parameters that will go into ensuring that you have a proper CBD product, you know, FDA regulated food processing, uh, food processing facility, all these. But if you have that and you are, you adhere to the farm bill, you can now, all the barriers that are now lifted on commerce and when it comes to CBD products will be lifted. E-commerce especially, I mean, now that this, this, this piece of legislation and this hemp bill has been is added and approved, I mean, they're expecting the CBD industry to bump to $20 billion by 2020. You know, that is an insane growth. I, 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 and, you know, it's just one of those things that's like, now the people who have been in the industry, you know, kind of when it was super gray, you know, now they're waiting, people, you know, waiting, counting down this bill to be passed because it's going to change. It's going to be like the new, the internet boom. I really have confidence. People are going to become overnight millionaires. People are going to dump $50,000 a day in a Facebook advertising and it's going to completely change e-commerce. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I don't think a lot of people realize that on e that right now most CBD companies cannot function on e-commerce. That a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people realize that that right now, most CBD companies make most of their sales in stores or in person or through direct sales. Or affiliate like, marketing. That's how most of the programs have been built is building these armies of affiliates. You know, if you have a good product, it sells itself. You know, I used to be a part of a company that had, you know, six or a year ago before this was even a conversation, had built an, an army of 1,200 affiliates, right? These companies were coming up from the dirt and just overnight millionaires. And now that we haven't been able to use things like targeted Facebook part, uh, AdWords, Facebook advertising, Amazon, all these huge platforms that everyone else is making millions and millions and millions of dollars on is now it's going to completely open and it's going to, it's, it's going to be massive. I don't think people are ready for how big of an economic boom this is going to be. Get ready for the CBD rush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but are there issues around banking right now with CBD as well? Oh, yeah, this will. Yep. Well, because of the federal uh, scheduling of cannabis and because hemp currently falls under that, it follows the same banking restrictions as cannabis. But now when you separate hemp, it essentially becomes an agricultural commodity, a highly regulated agricultural commodity, right? Like, like super tomatoes, right? That would be my, my best analogy. So but now because it's federally legal and a lot of these banking restrictions have been put in place federally because of the federal branches, you know, the Bank of America is the Wells Fargo's of the world will lift it. So we will now have access, equal access to banking just as we were a regular business. So, you know, there's companies out there charging 7 8% merchant accounts, you know, all these incurred costs that, you know, this is hard enough to start up a business in this industry as is, but now your costs are twice as high. You have to fulfill and do all these things outside of your state. 
So people that are in the industry now, I think, are in for a huge treat because everything's going to get easier and cheaper. Payment processing will be huge. huge. I know that's been a big, a big yep. issue. So that, yeah, that's fantastic to hear. That's finally coming around. That hemp is finally getting that separation. That I feel it yep. truly deserves. You know, it, I know most hemp products have less than I think it's point zero three percent THC in them. 03 percent. Which I don't know yep. if anybody knows, but the amount of THC you have to take to get to get high is the amount of hemp you'd have to ingest is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Like I don't think it's possible. Yeah. I don't think it would be possible. No. You know, so I'm really glad to see that that hemp that the hemp's finally kind of getting getting its own two feet here. The crazy thing about THC and 0.3%, although it's negligible when it comes to like producing a psychoactive effect, because of the entourage effect, it still has a therapeutic mm-hmm. benefit of a product. You know, my product and a lot of other products out there have that 0.3%, and there, there's a lot of there's scientific research that's proven that full spectrum products and whole plant extracts are, are more effective than mm-hmm. isolates, which is very counter to Western medicine is because of this the entourage effect you know the whole plant you know the the whole is better than the sum of its parts so it's 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 very real science now that brings me back to the the medical topic we were discussing earlier now you were saying that the products we have here in new york are made with only distillate so that's pure thc and pure cbd so they don't have all that full spectrum advantage that you're talking about they don't have all of those other cannabinoids correct because there's like hundreds of them right yeah right now there's unidentified 116 cannabinoids, all that bind with your endocannabinoid system in some way, but different enough to produce some different physiological effect, which is why cannabinoids and cannabis is so amazing, right? But we know that even, you know, generally most products will be like high in THC or high in CBD, but the, the complementary parts of, you know, the cannabinoids, the terpenes, you know, the C, we hear all about THC and CBD, but what about CBG and CBN and THCV and, you know, all there's this whole ecosystem of cannabinoids that we know in some way affects us in a different way, but we've never had the chance to grow a product that was regulated enough to be able to say, this is a high CBG plant with these amount of cannabinoids and terpenes. I mean, it literally the, the growing potential and the product differentiability in cannabis is literally limitless because you could have an identical product but one might be one percent higher in thc and cbg it interacts completely differently so which is like this whole ecosystem and really understanding the genome and the in the cannabinoids as a whole is going to be it's going to be wild when it comes to research and really creating new products and consumables now i believe tomorrow which is the day that this podcast should be coming out live you guys are going back down to Albany, correct? Yes. Yep. yep Can you tell are. me a little bit about what that's going to be Yeah, like? we're very excited. That is a free conference that the Drug Policy Alliance has put together. Um, Drug Policy Alliance is a huge partner of ours here in the state. Um, they, It's a marijuana justice, equity, and reinvestment conference. So it's focused on those three things, building justice, equity, and community reinvestment into our legal program. So it's a two-day conference that has, I think, a total of 10 or 12 different panels that are. Yeah, it's really, so we're actually, we're getting up tomorrow at four and we're driving because the first seminar starts at nine and they're cool because they have the, they'll have the keynote speaker and then they have like three, um, three sets of two panels, right? So it's nice because a lot of the panels are separated into the much more you know, the economic and the business side of it, which tends to be where I lean, and then the, the justice and the political and the, you know, the other side of it, which is, you know, obviously in Mary's strengths. And so we can kind of go as a unit and go with our other board member and some of the people that we've already been connected with down there and really 
you know, absorb almost all the information that, you know, is super relevant in the industry by some, some of the leading professionals. So I know you know a little more about it than I do. There's going to be some uh, industry professionals from Massachusetts specifically, which oh, nice. we're really excited about because they, Massachusetts adult use program that just started, uh, started in July, but their dispensaries just opened earlier in November, I believe. Um, they are really unique because they're the first adult use program where they have restricted vertical integration licenses. So a vertical integration license, just to give explain that jargon, um, vertical integration is essentially one business holding all licenses from seed to sale, Okay, which is how our medical program is designed right now. A vertical integration license is required in the New York State Medical Marijuana Program. So MedMen, Columbia Care, those dispensaries that people know, yeah. yep, are the guys that are the the folks that are also so they growing. farm it from seed all they the way to product. They farm it, they produce it, they distribute it. Gotcha. Um, and so that is one model. Um, we've seen in New York having a required vertical integration model is not the way to go. And so what Massachusetts has done, and all states have done all different things. You look and there's all different combinations of things that have been done. But we can confidently say that having a required vertical integration market is not the way to go. Um, yeah, not to mention, uh, to be a startup company and try to get into that, it is incredibly expensive. I mean, the grower's licenses was, alone were like It was like $200,000, I think, to even apply for one of the licenses. But then in addition to that, you also had to have all of your facilities already ready to go. And you'd have to function then. Because I mean, you think about the grill yeah. process, you're looking at several months before you even get before to the sale. Even, so, and we're looking now and they're still not making a profit years later. So, and they have, as what I heard from people that I've talked to firsthand who really looked into trying to get one of those licenses, you would have had to have six hundred or $6 million to have the facilities set up to have all of, you know, everything that they were saying that you had to have to just apply. So you pretty much already had it been at a well You already knew that yeah. you were getting your license before you applied. Gotcha. So it completely we, shuts out small business. Yeah. yeah. And so what Massachusetts has done is they have said, we are restricting vertical integration licenses. We're not allowed to have them. So that is why it's one reason why it's taken Massachusetts so long to get their adult use market up and running. But at the same time, it's also creating this market for small business to thrive. So the MRTA and what we're really pushing for is to have um, a multi-tier licensing structure that will restrict any vertical integration unless it's in a micro lens structure. So what that means is if you look at like the craft beer industry. Okay. It's the same, it's a similar type of model to that where you have um, all these different points of entry that you could potentially get into. So you could be just a um, grower, just a grower, an extractor. You could have a head shop, you could run an e com business, you You could could be distribute, like you should packaging, delivery, media. There are so every job now that exists could theoretically exist in cannabis. I'm literally opening all of these entries to the market um, to really make sure that we have equity and diversity in the market, but we have to go beyond just building that structure, we have to proactively try and build the equity and diversity in because we know that someone coming from a middle or high income neighborhood is much more likely to have that capital themselves to start up and get some ownership into the industry. So we're also focusing on 
you know, having some money set aside for loans for people that come from those low-income communities that have been directly targeted. So they actually have a chance to get some industry ownership. Um, Priority licensing that would, we don't know what it's going to look like exactly, but looking to states like California where they have like a point-based system for their licensing for people to get a dispensary license, for example, you would get X amount of points if you've been convicted of a low-level marijuana possession. Okay. Um, so kind of so like it works in your like favor like instead license, of against yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so really making sure that big cannabis doesn't come in and take over in New York is I'd say our number our number two goal after um, restorative justice, <laughs> which they go hand in hand. Yes. It's, it's happening though, and it's going to happen, and we're not going to be able to do anything about it. And I think it should be allowed because – I think cannabis is unique because craft cannabis and quality matters to all people. And in in the grand scheme of things where it comes to buying cheaper and inexpensive products and quality products, almost everybody can afford quality products. And if you spend money on learning how to, how to really, you know, locally source and teach people how to grow and be able to provide high quality products to everyone, let the big boys play, let the Marlboros play of the world because people will, this is not going to be an industry that's wanted big business. I'm glad they're entering because it's great publicity, but it's not. Right. Some people will buy just like big, you know, alcohol exists. You can buy your Sunday, you know, Bill's game Pilsner, or you can go buy a, you know, a Scotch Ale from Morbach. They both exist. We both drink them, but people tend to lean because this is a medicinal therapeutic property, you know, so you're not going to buy a product that's not going to make you feel the way that you want to feel. And you tend to lose of that when you start mass producing. Yeah. And I think that it gets really gray, though, because I think there is a way for those big business licenses to then come in and take over these smaller, like still having the the craft face of it. So we have to be really careful in how we let vertical integration into the adult use market and what was talked about at the assembly hearing. And what I, what we're going to be pushing for is that let the vertical integration licenses in the medical market exist as they are, let them continue to function, let them get better intrinsically from the adult use program but don't let them into the adult use program. Um, they, especially from the beginning, we need to be able to let those small businesses and these multi-tier licenses get themselves established before, you know, I'm not throwing any in any company under the bus because I think that we're all in this together and we need to figure out how to get there together. Um, but like MedMen, for example, who already has a huge storefront on Fifth Ave that's empty right now and they're just waiting for the adult use program, not really fair, you know, and I know life's not fair, but we're building a new market here. And as cannabis consumers, we're, we're unique individuals and we have a chance to really shape this market and this industry, how we want to see it. And part of being a responsible cannabis consumer, I think is understanding where your product is coming from and who's benefiting at the end of the day from what you're buying. Because right now, we're all buying it and putting it in the hands of someone directly who we know it's going to benefit, you know? So we have to keep that consciousness in mind of, of who our dollar is, is going to. And paying attention. There's so many, like I said, variables that go into making a cannabis product, you know, understanding what, what the eco, we know, what kind of soil is it going? What kind of care are the, the, you know, it matters. Everything matters. And the higher quality, more closer to mother nature, you know, organic product they have the better medicinal benefits and therapeutic benefits that you have. There's no question. And I think, you know, 
that will be, you know, teaching people how to understand, learn about your cannabis, mm-hmm. understand your cannabis needs and what you want. Because when you get it done right, I think there's a cannabis strain for everyone. Yeah. Even people definitely. that don't believe it because. Because well, they just haven't found the right one. The right yet. one. <laughs> and, yeah. It's yeah. A thing. And, you know, we are, I think it's really important to just talk about for a second, like how, how important is that we try and keep this local, you know, like the growing local and the having dispensaries local and having cannabis consumers involved in this conversation now with their, their town hall meetings that are happening, you know, and going to those and advocating that you want to see this come into, to where you are. Um, because I don't know, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but after we see legalization happen, zoning and regulation hearings are going to determine if we have dry cities and counties. So it's very possible that, Irondequoit, for example, would say, nope, no dispensaries here. And then there's no dispensaries in Irondequoit. Or even Um, things like, you know, you have to be this far away from a school to have a dispensary or to smoke, you know, all these very micro level things. We need to be involved in those conversations. We can't be letting people write those rules for us. So I just going back to the question from earlier of what you can do now today, become a member of Rack Normal. Yes. Follow us on Facebook, email us at rocknormal at rocknormal.org. Go to our website. Talk to us. We love talking to people. We love educating. We love learning. We have we have some influence. People, we are the voice, and we want to grow this voice stronger. And the only way to do it is to just be open about it. Get a hold of us and let us help you, educate you, be, be a part of our team. And we will, you know, I think this will be a, a huge staple in how... You know, the city handles cannabis will be right here in this organization. Mm -hmm. It's a really exciting time to be part of this conversation. This is grassroots activism at work. And I mean, it's so intersectional with so many other issues um, and just being able to use our voice and our platform to, I don't know, move this issue in the right direction because it's moving with or without us. So we have to to use all of our voices collectively. It's, it's such a unique time to be a grassroots advocate because we have very grassroots fundamentals, but we use you know technology and the resources at hand to get our voice across. And when you, usually people are only able to do one or the other, but when you have both, you can start a mass movement and you can do it relatively easily. You just have to learn how to talk to people and how to convey your information in a very clear and concise manner and be a resource, a reliable resource for people, which unfortunately doesn't really exist that frequently anymore as good truth-based information resources. And I think we pride ourselves on being one of those. How do you guys meet regularly? We have uh, monthly community meetings. They bounce around a bit. Usually we have them at the public market, Um, but we meet as a smaller group all throughout the month and are always doing things, um, having events on our Facebook. Um, We're always looking to grow our board and our committee members for people that want to, you know, volunteer with us and that want to lobby with us. Um, We're just always looking for other activists that want to get involved. So... And, and chances are you don't have happen to, don't have to be a cannabis activist. A lot of other people's missions and their advocacy groups' values tend to coincide with cannabis at some degree. You know, where we have partnered with Metro Justice recently, we have worked with the New York State Hemp Lab. So all these different groups are pushing their own agendas because of the universality of cannabis and how it touches so many parts of our world. 
content to mingle. So reach out to us. Chances are we have something that we can work on together or at least have a productive conversation about. Or if you have something to offer us, we are 100% volunteer and donation-based. So I mean, not even just offering monetarily, but skill-wise. So if you, for example, are a videographer and want to offer your skills to us, or a Maybe blogger, can, anything. Anything, like. yeah. If you um, have experience writing grants, like we're always looking for anyone who's willing to help us further our message and our mission to just. And this is a very loyal community and people that get involved. Like we're a big family, and I think people tend to do things for their family that, you know, they wouldn't do for other people. And we, I think that being part of this group together will benefit everybody that's involved and, uh, tremendously. So we really encourage people to reach out to us and get involved. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out and talking with us today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys coming down for our first show. It really means a lot to us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Uh, It's no problem. So guys, if anyone wants to get a chance to meet up with Rock Normal and go to one of their meetings or just talk to them, ask them some some questions, you can get a hold of them on Facebook at facebook.com backslash R-O-C-N-O-R-M-L or facebook.com backslash rock normal. So once again, this is the Alchemist's Pot podcast, and we are signing off. We'll see you guys next Tuesday at 7 p.m., and hope you enjoyed the show.